Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. So we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. And of course we come this morning to this story of incredible extravagance in Mark chapter 14. There's a lot of wasteful extravagance in the world. Apparently Frank Sinatra... um, hired a person to give away gold cigarette lighters to people that he liked. Jerry Lewis had 23 cars uh, at one stage and he actually bought four cars of the same type on the same day. Mariah Carey, famous singer, apparently she has somebody employed to go with her wherever she goes and to hold sanitary wipes so that she shakes somebody's hands, they pass to the sanitary wipe so she can clean her hands up afterwards. And she also has somebody who is, her job is to tell her how beautiful she is. Several times during the day, this person is employed to to fulfil that function. Uh, Paris Hilton owns six dogs. And I guess when you own six dogs, you need somewhere to put them. And so she built a mansion for her puppies, uh, $325,000 US including such essential puppy amenities as central air conditioning and a balcony. Angelina Jolie, uh, she has adopted a few kids, but rather than having one nanny for all of the children, she employs a nanny for each one of her children uh, to go along with her doctor and her nurse and her masseur who follow her wherever she goes. Of course, the richest man in the world, the Sultan of Brunei. How many cars does a a sultan need? Five? Fifty? Five hundred? No. No, five hundred, that's right. Five hundred, including fifty Rolls Royces, is what every good leader needs. Wasteful extravagance. When one car is sufficient, why have five hundred? If one nanny is sufficient, why do we need five or six nannies? That's the sort of question that's raised by this story in Mark chapter 14, this wasteful extravagance. We read, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was at Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. We read the story takes place in the home of Simon the leper. Now, presumably, he wasn't a leper at that stage uh, because they wouldn't have been able to have the meal with him in his home. So he had been a leper. And it's likely that this was somebody that Jesus had healed. And a bit like Matthew, the tax collector, what what he did was to, to invite people over with Jesus to... To, to thank Jesus or to, to have a meal with Jesus with his friends. And we read that this, this woman who's unnamed in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew, Mark chooses not to, to name her, but in John chapter 11 we read what appears to be the same story and this is Mary of Bethany. This is Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus. It would seem to be the person in here, but Mark chose not to reveal her name and so we will just call her the woman and the perfume. As Mark said, she, she brought a, a bottle of, of perfume, possibly a family heirloom, worth 300 denarii. 
uh, which is a denario was that the labourers' day work, so it was it was worth an annual salary, so over over fifty thousand dollars, and uh, she wasted the whole amount on Jesus' head. It was a bit like if I were to uh, to get Lynette's um, Lynette's in Canberra, so I can do this. Her her, her favourite bottle of, of perfume, and to to not just sort of take the yeah, but to to get serious with it and to, to break the top off and to pour it all and waste it all in there. A bit extravagant, a bit extreme. Probably Lynette thinks it is. Uh, but this is what the woman did. But, but mind you, the perfume that she used was a bit more expensive than the stuff I buy for Lynette. The man's response was not good. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And you have to say, that makes a bit of sense when you think about it. You can do a lot of things with $50,000, $80,000 a year's salary. You could probably home a group of refugees for a whole year or three homes. You could probably rent three homes for a whole year. Imagine all of the fistula surgeries that could be done with a year's salary. Think about all the children you could, could sponsor through World Vision. They had a bit of a point, didn't they? And, but perhaps their response was a little bit over the top. It says they rebuked her harshly, and the word translated rebuked harshly was used to describe the snorting of a horse. So they sort of they snorted at her. They, 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 they glowered at her because of what she had done. But Jesus' response was to approve of what she does. In verse 6 he says, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? So how does Jesus justify this extravagance? He goes on. The poor... Uh, she has done a beautiful thing to me. In the, in the world of that time, the, the custom was that when a special guest came to your meal, you would pour some perfume on their head. You would anoint them. And it seems that uh, Simon the leper hadn't done this for Jesus. We read in Psalm 23 where David says that the Lord anoints my head. And that was proving that he was a, a, a guest, a special guest in the home. And, uh, and so the woman takes the responsibility to anoint Jesus, perhaps something that the host should have done. But we also need to reflect on the fact that during the, the Passion Week, in the time leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, the only affection we have any record of being was Judas kissing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we have here an important contrast between that sort of love and the sort of love that this woman expresses to Jesus, and this sort of honour that Jesus bestows upon Jesus uh, through the anointing with the perfume. But not only was it a, a beautiful thing, it was a timely thing. Jesus says in verse 7, you will always, the poor you will have with you always, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 15, where it says exactly what it says. The poor will be with you always, so be open-handed to the poor. 
And Jesus is in no way saying that they, they shouldn't be open-handed to the poor. But what he's saying is that the, the time that, we, that they had to show their love to Jesus was strictly limited. Jesus was, was going to the cross and this was his chance to be recognised as the Messiah. Every king in the history of Israel had been anointed by a prophet or a priest. And even though the disciples had recognised that Jesus was the Messiah, which literally means the anointed one, nobody had anointed him. And here we see this woman taking on this crucial role of recognising in the time that she had to anoint Jesus and recognise him as the Messiah. 18.8 says, she did what she could. And its implication is there that that was all she could do, as that she had nothing of great wealth except this, this bottle of perfume. And, and it seems as she almost parallels the woman in chapter 12 who is at the, at the synagogue or at the temple, puts in all she has. The two coins are all she has and she gives them all to God. This woman, the only thing she had was this, this bottle of perfume and she gives it all to Jesus not just a few drops, the whole bottle. But not only was it costly, it was, was solemn. It says in 8b, she poured the perfume, Jesus says, she poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. In those days, they would, after a person died, the body would be anointed in a lot of perfume to, to help cover up the, the smell of decomposition. And uh, when John the Baptist had been killed by Herod, his disciples went and got John's body and anointed it with perfume. But when Jesus was crucified, his disciples went missing in action. The only opportunity this woman could see, and she seems to be one of the very few who understands that Jesus was going to the cross. She seems to be the only one in the Gospels who understands that, that what was going to happen she anoints Jesus for his burial before his execution because she would not get the opportunity to do it afterwards. And finally, verse 9, we read it was a, a memorable thing. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And Jesus' prophecy has come true. It's come true this morning. Here we are 2,000 years later in a totally different part of the world remembering and celebrating what this woman did. And it will probably be remembered throughout eternity. So it was a beautiful thing. It was a timely thing. It was a costly thing. It was a solemn thing. And it was a memorable thing that that woman did that day. It was extravagant sacrifice inspired by affectionate faith. And Jesus warmly affirms that approach and that sacrifice. Will we use that word to describe ourselves or describe our own faith? Extravagant sacrifice inspired by affectionate faith. I think when Zacchaeus was forgiven by Jesus... 
That's what he experienced, and that's what he did. He went and got the money and, and gave it away. Uh, you know, an extravagant act based on affectionate faith. Apparently, when Sir Francis of Assisi received the gospel, he, he ran through his uh, fabric um, a company uh, business and, and took out these really expensive reams of cloth and tossed them to the crowd, to the poor, in response, in his extravagant, affectionate faith for Jesus. I heard about a guy who became a Christian and he went back to the petrol stations he'd robbed. He'd robbed three petrol stations and he went back to them at risk of his own conviction and imprisonment. He went back and paid back the money that he had stolen from those petrol stations. When I was at, at uni, when the, my faith was, was young, I uh, uh, used to, to go to church every chance I could get, went to every Bible study I could get. I went through the dormitories, knocking on people's doors, asking them about their faith and seeking the gospel, sharing the gospel with people. When I gave up my school holidays and travelled to country towns to, to teach kids about the gospel. Uh, uh, went forward in worship services. I wept in worship services. I knelt at the front. I went forward to receive more that God might have for me. I'm sure you can look back through your life and you can identify a place where you are expressing extravagant sacrifice inspired by affectionate faith. Remember the times when you, you gave too much away. You gave more of your time than you had. You made sacrifices. You were passionate. You will need to do whatever you could out of your gratitude to Jesus. But we've matured a bit now, haven't we? We're a bit more prudent in our faith. We're a bit more respectable, a bit more sensible, a bit more proper in the way we go about our, our Christian faith. And they're all good things. I think they, they would all look really good on a, on a resume that we probably want people to think those things about us. But there's a problem with the notion of prudent love. Prudent love. I see, I think prudent love is actually a bit of a, an oxymoron. That's, uh, that's two words that are incompatible with each other. You see, if we've got prudent love, the prudent part of that pollutes and dilutes the love. Prudent and love, respectable and love, sensible and love, sustainable and love, proper and love don't really belong together. There's plenty of things that we can invest our life in. Uh, we can invest it in, in, in education, in, in a career, in, in building a home for our, our children. Uh, we can invest our lives in, in making sure that we, we serve others and we, we, we do good and that we, we set aside any, uh, some superannuation for our retirement. But Jesus' point about what's going to be remembered is, is very true. Probably in 100 years' time, nobody will remember your name. Nobody will remember what you did. Nobody will remember what I did. Usually our grandchildren or grandchildren will usually remember the names and perhaps remember some of the things that their grandparents did. But once you move beyond three generations, very few people will remember who we were or what we do. The only stake we have in eternity is Jesus. 
as the bride of Ecclesiastes said, when we look back at Ecclesiastes, where he said, our life is like a vapour. It just, it's there for a moment and then, and then disappears. And so the question is, what are we going to invest our lives in that's going to make a difference for eternity? And the only thing is our relationship with Jesus, our worship of Jesus. At that meal, there were probably a number of people who loved Jesus. I think, imagine Simon the leper. Imagine being a a leper and sort of cast out of society and and cut away from your family and and destined to an agonising death. And Jesus comes along and heals you. Imagine how much love Simon the leper had for Jesus. But the problem was, he didn't express it. Maybe he was too prudent, too respectful, to do anything as extravagant as pouring a bottle of perfume over Jesus' head. But the woman is the one who is remembered, not Simon the leper. Over the years I've been in some, around some Christians who've had pretty extravagant and loopy worship. Like, you might have been like me, you've been in a church service that's been more like a circus than a, than a church service, complete with magic tricks and animal noises. And I must confess, I've looked down on some of that and thought, oh, that's ridiculous. That's wasteful. I've looked at how much money churches spend on, on art and stained glass windows and, and lavish buildings. And I thought, that's a bit wasteful and extravagant. But I missed the point. Because the debate on, on, on beauty and, and practicality continues and... and, and we, we, we see these debates between, between pragmatic Christians and pragmatic worshippers and those who, who, build, who do beautiful things for Jesus, who paint beautiful building, uh, paintings, who, who construct beautiful buildings, who, who write beautiful poetry for Jesus. And the debate is still out, but Jesus in this story lands soundly on beauty. And I guess when you look at a sunset, you see the same conclusion. All that wasted colour. It's going to hang around for a few minutes and then it's gone. How wasteful. How extravagant. But Jesus calls us to, to follow the example of this woman. To be wasteful. To be extravagant. To do something beautiful for him in response to what he's done for us. So we're going to sing a couple of songs in a moment and you can probably sing them the way we normally do in a fairly prudent manner, uh, fairly restrained manner. But the opportunity here is for us to be a little bit extravagant in the way we respond to Jesus. It's up to you. If you've got some perfume, you might want to tip it out. But it might be just be kneeling. If you shed a few tears, that's going to be okay. Whatever it is that comes to your heart as the way to respond extravagantly to the God who, who died in your place, that's, that's up to you. But let's take this opportunity because it's here for us to express our love to Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the 
incredible love that you have for us. And we thank you that on the cross we saw in a, in a tangible way what that love looked like. And Lord, we thank you that we've come to know your love for us. And we, we thank you that at times in our lives we have responded appropriately to that. We have, ex- we have been extravagant. We've, we've been sacrificial in our, in our love and affection for you. But Lord, I know myself that over the years I've got a bit prudent, a bit careful, a bit more mature. But Lord, we thank you for the reminder of this woman who has done something which echoes down through history to our very building here this morning, the beautiful things that she did. And we pray, Lord, that we would be moved to respond to your love this morning and to not be like Simon the leper who loved you desperately but he didn't take the opportunity to say thank you. In Jesus we ask. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.